Well, hello everybody, this is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecaster 175, so glad you could join me. Uh, today's guest, Emily Ruth Hazel, will be here in about 10 minutes. But before we begin, I should say that Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been in continuous publication since 1995 and are unaffiliated with any other organization. We just do it because you love poetry, and I know you do too, so please do click the like button and share and subscribe and ring bells and leave reviews and uh, whatever else you can do to help spread poetry around. It would be greatly appreciated. These broadcasts are, of course, free. There's an open lines afterward if you'd like to share a poem. Don't forget that. I'll give a Zoom link at the end of the show. You can join the same place that the guests are. You can have your poems up on screen too. It'll be a lot of fun. There's a prompt every week. You can do whatever you'd like. So sit tight, grab a poem, and uh, share poems later. Now, we always like to start out with uh, our Poets Respond poet. And um, Sunday's poet was um, a a holiday poem and a a poem with a a bit of an uplifting message at the end, which is something I always try to add because poets so many times uh, go to dark places. And um, Allison Davis is here with Christmas Vigil at Sacramento International Airport. And uh, here she is, Allison Davis. Hey, Allison, how you doing? Hello. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. It's great to see. Great to see that you uh, survived and got out of the airport despite the Southwest Airlines having the troubles that they have. <laughs> it was definitely an adventure. And with small children, um, we had to work hard to keep our calm. <laughs> and uh, so do you want to explain, you know, what happened uh, to you that, you know, at the airport? Sure. So uh, we decided to surprise our kids um with a trip home to visit their grandparents and we haven't been there in several years it was way before the pandemic last time we went and so they opened up a a package on Christmas morning I had drawn a picture of a suitcase I said go pack your bags we're leaving for the airport in three hours so they were jumping up and down they were so excited so we pack our bags and we head off and the airport is packed and um, there are these really long lines in front of the counters and we kind of can't figure out why people are standing um, at all of the gates. And so we line up, our gate changes. Um, we line up again, our gate changes back to the original one. They were switching the orders of things. We start to hear announcements about um, needing to find crew um, and needing to cancel flights because of storms. So we were at the airport for about nine hours uh, before they finally canceled our flight and sent us home. Um, And during that time, I turned to my poetic imagination to kind of keep me going. Mm -hmm. And I was watching people and listening to conversations and talking and playing with the kids and, staying in that tender space through poetry that allowed me to not like lose my cool and have the worst day. Mm -hmm. So the next day I had to go back to try to get a flight and the same kind of thing happened. And again, I gave myself um, poetry as a way to be present and to find the beauty in what I was experiencing. Yeah. And I can attest, I, uh, you know, usually don't see the names, but I happen to like search for you looking up this poem again later and you sent like three or four poems all about the the same situation you tackled it in all different ways you had plenty of time on your hands I guess (laughs) yeah so that was one of the things for one of the poems that I had sent in so I wrote like a dozen and I sent four Mm -hmm. and um I'm I'm a parent I'm a full-time teacher I'm also in school full-time and uh it's hard to find the time to write and I don't have that kind of pre-dawn Mary Oliver work ethic Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'm often lamenting the time that I don't have uh, uh, to write. And then being at the airport for, you know, 
20 hours over a few days with really nothing else to do. It gave me a lot of time to write. Yeah, that's great. Good use of your time. Uh, well, let's hear this poem, Christmas Vigil at Sacramento International Airport, a perfect perfect poem for this uh, time of year, of course. Do you want, Are you saying you want me to read yeah, it? Yeah, go ahead and read it, yeah. Oh, sure. I didn't pull it up, so it'll take just a moment. Okay. I guess I'm going to get it on my phone because my drive is not working. Well, if you go to uh, rattle.com, yep, that's where I'm right there on on top, one down. Yep. (laughs) Okay. So, um, so it goes like this Christmas vigil at Sacramento international airport at a wobbly metal table. I sit sketching chalk dudleyas and milkweed, a woman, behind me explains loudly into her phone that every other seat on every other airline is booked. All the rental cars in the county are taken. The hotels that shuttle to and from the airport are all full. More people keep flowing in through the double doors, eager eyed and flanked with festive baggage. An agent with a megaphone continuously announces that all flights are canceled and no new reservations are being made. The woman behind me cries. I consider for a moment asking her to come home with me. Imagine for a moment spending a night with someone I might love, comfort, even touch in some small way. She shuffles off before I can offer good tidings. A mother lays her coat on the ground and changes her newborn baby's diaper, then tucks the barely earth-kissed body into a stroller to sleep. They have nowhere to go. My ride arrives. The fog is too thick to see the stars. Yeah, beautiful poem there. It just makes me think about how um, we have so few places, you know, so much is like Zooming like this and online. And, and, you know, we spend so much time, you know, on our phones and things that there's so few places that we're like interacting with strangers all the time. And and it's sort of like we're forced to in these negative situations where something bad's going on, where we're waiting in a line or whatever. But then uh, sometimes that's the most beautiful thing because there's like a craving for having interactions with people, you know, at the same time. So it's a really moving poem in that regard. One of my daughters is nine and she was looking around at the airport and she said, mom, how come we are the only kids who don't have tablets? <laughs> she never really noticed that before. We had our books and our games and um, I said, well, we're finding other things to do, aren't we? And she said, yes. And so we were racing up and down the terminal and we were playing like hand clapping games. Uh, we play this game that we call Guess the Word because I, it's hangman, but I don't like a game where you... <laughs> Send somebody to the gallows for the sake of spelling. So we draw a daisy and like fill in the petals as we go. So we're just playing all of these things. And, you know, kids have this incredible gift to just go toward other people. Mm -hmm. So they would watch each other play from sort of the side of the gate. And then they would run towards each other and laugh and then kind of run away. And there really was, and kind of all the, the chaos and the confusion, these really tender moments uh of of human connection Mm -hmm. 
and and people deciding like especially because it was christmas day that they were gonna be cheerful and i can imagine on some other day there might be a lot they might be a lot grumpier yeah yeah um, oh very great gave- yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah. And too, like the, you know, when like, the power goes out, it's kind of the same thing where it's like, oh, we have to find ways to have fun. And sometimes it's more fun than uh, the ways you were going to have fun in the first place. So anyway, thanks so much for sharing that poem, Allison. It was a good one for uh, the first day of the year. I really appreciate it. And thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, you're welcome. Take care. Yep. Thanks for having me. Yep. You too. Bye. Bye. It was Allison Davis, uh, once again, with uh, her poem, Christmas Vigil at uh, Sacramento International Airport. We're going to take a quick break and move on to tonight's main guest, Emily Ruth Hazel. Emily Ruth Hazel is a guest on Redcast number 75 coming up in just a moment. Sit tight, and I will be right back with uh, Emily Ruth Hazel. And we're back. Thanks so much for your patience. Like I said, tonight's guest is Emily Ruth Hazel. Um, She's a cross-pollinating poet, author, artist who is passionate about diversifying the audience for poetry and the context in which we find it, which is the main thing I wanted to talk about. Um, She's founder and creative director of Wild Honey Words, a poetry meets art boutique that offers expressive apparel, accessories, decor, and journals featuring her words and designs. Um, She's the author of some chapbooks and has won a whole bunch of awards and uh, has been published all over. Um, a graduate of Oberlin College Creative Writing Program, she's led workshops in libraries and schools and community centers from New York to South Africa, including poetry workshops for drawing and architecture students at Cooper Union. Uh, just workshops all over the place. Currently based in the foothills of Los Angeles, Emily's developing several poetry book manuscripts and co-writing lyrics for an original music and musical inspired by the life of ex- the extraordinary singer, cultural bridge builder, and civil rights foremother, Marian Anderson. And here she is, Emily Ruth Hazel. Hey, Emily, how you doing? Hi, Tim. Hi, everyone. Yeah, I'm doing well, thanks. How about you? I'm doing great. It's great to see you. Um, you know, you used to come to our um, our uh, poetry readings back in uh, L.A. at the at the uh, whatever the bookstore was called, Flint yeah. Ridge Bookstore. Yeah. yeah and yeah. Um, and he, I just loved your poems then. And it's really interesting all the different ways that you go about uh, sharing poetry and getting poetry out in the world. Not the usual like, hey, let's just publish books and poems and journals. You're doing a lot more with it. Um, but let's start out by reading a poem so we can sort of hear what your, what your voice sounds like and what your, your poems are doing. Sure. Sure. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to try this with, I've actually never done a virtual reading yet. Um, I managed to go the whole pandemic without doing that. So I'm going to try, um, reading on screen instead of my, my paper. I'm such a, a pen and paper person. Um, so we'll see how this goes. All right. This is called Here's to Being Human. And um, I wrote it, I wrote it over many, many years. Um, and I still did a little bit of revising today. Um, here's to being human. Even as I raise my glass, I'm praying, let it go down easy, not too many hiccups, chin dribble, everyone is too polite to notice. Here's to being on without a teleprompter, awkward as a donkey being born, to false starts and sweat stains. Here's to forgetting how to tell a joke halfway in, to the names and clever comebacks that elude me in the span of a spoken moment, but roll in hours later as if their flights were delayed. Here's to my taped together life, the unframed art of every day, the boxes never unpacked, all the plans I have mislaid, to the clutter I can't contain inside a closet, to inviting friends over anyway, to what I've strained to carry to the curb and keep from leaking, that hefty garbage bag of shame. 
Here's to getting past the makeup counters at the mall without feeling a need to conceal, to volumize, or to refinance my assets. Here's to my thin skin, scars that remember the tiniest scrapes, to crying in public and laughing alone, to learning how to dance with my shadow as it mocks me, pins me to the ground, to the fears always threatening to leave their sticky fingerprints on everything I'm about to reach for, to the bud too shy to bloom, to the urgent voices of the unseen multitudes, squawking, hissing, barking within the wave-tossed arc of my body, to letting go of all my favorite judgments, the ones I used to wear under the layers of security I bought on credit, to changing my mind, no longer forcing the fit, saying goodbye to the genes and the jobs that have served their season, Here's to giving up searching for the trap door below the snack shelf, rifling through medicine cabinets for the secret of being content with myself. Here's to embracing it all, even my striving spirit that itches to fix the dog-eared doormat, to plaster and paint my heart's unfinished basement, to the blue-black roads where I've spun out, refused to surrender the wheel, to my fishtailing frenzy to arrive, my reckless ambition promising to knit the world a sweater by 10 o'clock tonight, to blundering through the maze of mirrors in my mind, knowing I can't avoid that stranger I keep running into. And when I see her shake her head at me, reheating a smile, you again. Here's to the poem I am, still being revised yeah excellent poem and that was uh here's to being human by emily mm-hmm. ruth hazel um and so emily what has your you know your relationship been with poetry when did that start how long ago did you become a poet and and, and why you know i i'm one of those anomalies who knew when i was really young um when everybody else wanted to be like a nurse or a fireman that I wanted to be a poet. Um, I loved writing even before I could actually write language, um, you know, meaningful language. I loved like scribbling on scraps of paper. Um, I found some writings the other day that were from when I was four or five. And um, there was just this something about it that I just, I just loved that the act of that. And then I, took a creative writing um, after school workshop in third grade and um, and something about it just sparked me. Um, and then from there, uh, the woman who ran that, um, who I am very grateful to, um, her name is Kathy Cryan Hicks. Um, and she invited me to be part of the Young Writers Club at the library, even though I was like a, a little bit young for it. And um, I started that in fourth grade and just was in love with poetry. Um, we did a workshop or um, not a workshop, but a, a class um, project of writing color poems. And I, which I saw it was a recent um, open lines prompt as well. And I just, I just took to it. And my teacher couldn't get me to write in anything other than poetry <laughs> here. <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was something that I really felt called to really young and, um, 
decided to go to college for it. Um, and the rest is history. Yeah. And, and what was it about poetry? You said you couldn't, you know, write, your teacher couldn't get you to write anything else. What was it about poetry, you think, that was special as opposed to other kinds? Because, you know, a lot of people dabble with like short stories and stuff too. Uh, what was it what was about poetry that, that made you uh, focus on that at first? Well, um, I think one thing is that I'm a very big feeler and having a form of expression that could hold that and could evoke certain things that I couldn't express in other ways was a lifesaver for me, Mm -hmm. even when other people didn't necessarily get it. Um, And I also found that what I'm learning about myself, even now in my late thirties, is that part of my being a highly sensitive person is that I'm very, um, very attuned to details in the world. And so I'm always noticing these tiny things and subtle things. And that can be really overwhelming because just my natural way of being is I'm just taking in so much input. Um, But the beautiful part of it that enables me to do what I do is that um, I see layers in everything. I see metaphors in everything. I see meaning in everything and, and love taking all that in as well and processing it. Um, so yeah. And also I, I have a very nonlinear brain, um, Mm -hmm. as I'm sure will become evident in this conversation. (laughs) And so, uh, stories, I just have always had a hard time with, um, I'd like to do a little bit more with, uh, with prose writing, um, particularly personal essays. And I have been wanting to launch a blog that I have many folders of notes toward um, for the past uh, several years. Um, so maybe this will be the year. Um, but ultimately, I am a poet at heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, let's hear another poem then. Uh, what do you want to read next? Sure. Well, you know what? It's funny. I have an airport poem. <laughs> oh, perfect. Without being delayed at an airport that um, that I was thinking of reading. But I also feel like um, with the fabulous one that we just heard, um, maybe I will do something a little different for the next one. Um, all right, I will, I will go with um, this mind has a, sorry, this river has a mind of its own. Um, and this is, this is one that has also been revised over many years. And this is, this is comes out of like the, my inner geology nerd. Um, and I, I love rivers are my favorite geologic feature, also mountains, um, but uh, this flowed out of that. This river has a mind of its own. Drawing my thin brown finger over the topography of time, I am where I'm going and where I used to be. I pour over memories of leaves pressed between pages of shale, discover the sun spark in layers of schist, meander through red earth ravines. My floodplains reveal the patterns of my long and muddy history how I trace a careful course, pacing myself, outlasting every dry spell, then revel in my own abundance, spill over reckless again, collecting more than I can carry, doubling back yet pushing on, braiding myself into song. Some moments you can look right through me, watch the currents of my thoughts, stumbling over the same old boulders, plunging toward the restless sea, But when I'm too busy rushing, even I don't know what lies beneath my churning. Sometimes I turn on myself so sharply, I cut off my curves. 
The parts of me I leave behind become oxbows, boomerangs. Lakes can ponder the sky for centuries, preserve themselves in stillness, but a river is never fluent in silence and I am forever running away. Uh, great ending there. That was uh, The River Has a Mind of Its Own. And uh, you mentioned it was revised over many years. Um, what is it like? Because I've never done that in my life. <laughs> what is it like to um, come back to a poem after years and then, and then change it? And, yeah. and how much different was it in the uh, an earlier version? Do you remember? Well, you know, it's interesting because I actually, I remember reading that um, at my, I wrote it my senior year of college. Mm-hmm was 2006 and um i remember reading it at my um creative writing recital uh, or recital is probably not the right word but um and i my process is so much it is i like that it's it is like a river it kind of is always like sifting through things and and coming to new layers and kind of the thing about coming back to a poem after a long time is that it can give the um, perspective that I didn't have before, you know, about how to tighten it. And, and, you know, I'm more evolved. I'm a different person. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a different writer, but it can also sort of mess with the process. I think sometimes like I can overwork something or like, sometimes I come back around to the way that it was a couple drafts ago, you know, because, um, because there's something in my basic instincts that knew what it needed to be at mm-hmm. that moment. And, you know, it, it's like a painting. If you, if you try and change it too much later, like you'll be able to tell. So I'm still navigating that balance in a lot of ways as I write, but many of my poems, I would say I revise over a long period of time mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm working on several different poetry manuscripts that I've been working on for many years. And so I'm like facing that challenge. Um, but yeah, I actually keep, I keep separate documents of all the different versions that I have of a piece and, um, or all the main versions. And then I'll also keep at the bottom with my name, I'll put the dates, all the dates that I revised it just to have a sense of like where it's been. Um, so it's kind of an interesting, like archeological history kind of thing. Yeah, it would be. I guess what I was wondering is if like, you feel like a different person, like does it almost feel like translating, you know? Like, can you tell the difference between the you now with, you know, every one of your cells being different <laughs> versus the you then? Yeah. It was like a, you know, a previous incarnation of you, you know, can you tell the difference? For sure. And, and also I think, um, yeah, like the the poems that I feel like I'm successful in um, revising later, it is a process very much, and I and I see this in general that there's a parallel between my personal process of becoming a person, you know, um, and my writing process. They always parallel and intersect for me, mm-hmm. and um, and so certain poems, you know, that I might write that I don't when I didn't have a certain amount of um, confidence to to say something or to say it a certain way or to be a little sassy or to like be bold about something or to throw in something sultry, like these parts of me that have been emerging more over the years. It's like, really, it's about my authentic self was always in there, but I was sort of 
masking certain parts, even in being vulnerable, like there are certain parts that I was uh, like holding back a little bit and also certain parts of myself that I didn't love enough to be able to show them, you know? So as I'm evolving as a person, that changes the nature of the poems too. Yeah, that's really interesting to think about because I, I do look back at some old poems and I'm like, I don't remember writing that or feeling that or, you know, or experiencing yeah. that. Like, who are you? <laughs> yes, <laughs> who were yes, you or I, something? Um, I hear you. I definitely sometimes <laughs> just like let certain poems go and, you know, mm-hmm. I start tinkering with it and then I'm like, you know what? It was another time, another version of myself. <laughs> let it go. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, let's hear another one from the current version of yourself. Uh, which one next? Sure. sure. Um, Let's do uh, Arrhythmia. Okay. So Arrhythmia is a, um, it's a, in my case, minor um, heart condition, but um, it's like an irregularity of the way that the heart beats um, so that the pattern can sound different um, at different times. And um, I, I wrote this poem at the end of 2020 um, when my heart was really acting up and I was freaking out about it. Um, And uh, this is after Margaret Atwood, a poem that she wrote called The Woman Who Could Not Live With Her Faulty Heart. And that poem I came across in college um, and it it just always struck me and it has been like swimming around in there ever since. So then however many years later, that is 14 years later or something, you know, I started writing this poem, Arrhythmia. In the gulf of night, lying with one arm around my own waist, my fingers touching my collarbone, I'm afraid to be alone with my heart. Why does it keep on stuttering? What is it trying to tell me? I feel it thump against my palm. Soft mallets rush the beat, then drag behind, lost in time, the way I've been. Since March, blue shut the doors to everywhere I once belonged. One hand wants to fumble for my phone and feed my fears to Google, to open in the darkness a window of light, however artificial. My other hand wants to call across three time zones to reach my brother's voicemail, just so I can hold the phone to my chest as he says, you know what to do and when to do it. Here in the Valley of Shadows, 11 months into a year that predicted average vision, the year we never saw coming, a year that has been kneeling on our throats, demanding change, insisting hearts like mine matter. After all the weeks I've fought to keep my head above another wave and the days I've been pinned beneath the breakers, air and light unreachable, unsure if I would surface again, or if I wanted to, even as millions battled for the right to breathe, global blood pressure rising, red and blue clashing in our nation's heart as if not of the same body, the slowly dying year relentlessly disturbing our rhythms over and again, over, over again, and over and over. If I can't even count on this part of me that stays awake working, while I scrape together hours of fitful sleep, borrowing well-worn words, begging for help to accept the things I cannot change about my body, her contradictions and complaints, the way she is constantly changing, 
How can I stop trying to bully her into bending to my will? Serenity is a tall ask when something is off in my heart. But around the world tonight, tomorrow, thousands of people are leaning into this same prayer. I've been told God is fond of saying in person and through various agents, fear not, let not your hearts be troubled. As if our fierce and fragile hearts don't march to the beat of their own drums. How can I relax when I was born addicted to anxiety, when half of my inheritance is a chest full of fear? I count my breaths for five weeks before a doctor declares what I already know. My heart is disturbed on a regular basis. Now to weigh an unknown parcel of days before I am assigned a cardiologist who may be booked for months. Who has time to examine a possibly ordinary heart condition when hospitals are flooded? I elbow the clinic door and step outside, slathering my hands with sanitizer as if I can wash off the worry when all I can do is wait for it to air dry. The line for urgent care next door wraps around the building. Falling into my car, I cry into the phone in the crowded parking lot, worried I'm not leaving fast enough to make space for someone else's pain. When I'm calm enough to turn the key, the radio is playing the whispers and the beat goes on. The sun winks through the branches of an olive tree. I drive to a tucked away trailhead, relieved to find it no longer roped off with caution tape, at least for today. Because walking is one of the few things I can rely on to bring me home to my body. I start up the dusty trail, struggling to breathe behind my face mask, missing the familiar smells of wild sage and winter sun warming the desert dirt. My glasses fogging up again, heart kicking hard against my ribs like tennis shoes in the dryer. How can I keep going, be at ease, not knowing what or why or when or where? When I pause, my lens is clear for a moment. Looking back at the city embraced by mountains, palms, and pines, now and then a scarlet sweetgum tree. I can see what I could not have pre prepared for in a year just days from its end. The sky is contemplating rain. My hand on my chest, I feel the inconsistency that lives within me. This too, I will probably survive. No, my heart is not unflappable. She pours out with and without hesitation, knows her own strength better than I do. If I doubt her, who will hear her? I'm learning how to listen. When I asked her at the trailhead if she was up for this, she answered quickly, yes, yes, yes. But she's not the only one who needs a rest, a moment of silence sometimes, a maybe before deciding, yes, I want to go on. Yeah, another great poem that was Arrhythmia by Emily Ruth Hazel. And um, yeah, thanks for sharing that. And you mentioned that um, your poems tend to be longer. 
and um, and and uh, yeah, they do. And and why do you think that is? What do you think is um, what draws you to that? And and I'm always thinking about too. You do such a great job of performing poems, and how much of performance? Because when you're doing a performance piece, you know you're you're leading people on kind of a journey, and and there's a the, the length is a certain amount that sort of works for that space. Is that one of the things that makes you write at that length? Do you think? That is a great question, um, and and thank you for the feedback on that. I um, I will admit I get a little bit self conscious. Like I was noticing just in that poem just now, I was like, oh, I should have given them a warning or like, <laughs> no, like a heads up, a heads up. I'll say, you know, this is a longer poem just to kind of like mentally prepare people, uh, which I usually like to do. Um, but I think I'm not sure why, but this has been my pattern for at least the last several years, I don't know, maybe five, six years um, that I tend to go long. And um, and I also try to challenge myself sometimes uh, intentionally to write something that is, you know, a really short container. But I think there's just this part of me that's um, like obsessed with looking at all the different facets of something and also telling a story in my own way, which is, you know, not necessarily directly linear, um, because again, my brain, um, but that, uh, that I sort of write in a collage, um, mode and that's very much what I, I mean, that's as a visual artist as well. Um, I talked about, you know, being a cross pollinator and that is, it's very much the same thing. There's something about my brain that really loves like making connections between different things and weaving together all these different pieces. Mm -hmm. And to do that, I usually need a good amount of space, you yeah. know, um, like I need like a wall, not a postcard. <laughs> Yeah, that's so, a great, yeah. <laughs> yeah, great way to put it. Um, and, and so many people already, you know, uh, Ted Guevara, beautiful poem, beautifully read. Deb T mentions how beautifully you read. And um, there is something, I remember the first time you, you read at the, at the bookstore. Um, you have such a great way of um, making the most out of your poems, like presenting them in a way that's giving into the moment, but not like over the top theatrical too like there's a night really nice balance how do you how do you approach reading a poem because you do a great job of it is there some way that you think about presenting it as you're reading it mm, thank you um a lot of it is grace i always send up a prayer if i think to before i read to be able to be present to be able to give something that's genuine mm -hmm. um uh sometimes it's more of a parachute prayer um like help a sister out because <laughs> I'm really nervous. Um, and I think, um, I think so much of it is about being able to sort of, um, sort of like if I were holding the difference between, you know, holding a camera, you know, and looking at a camera, you know, as in your phone and looking at, that and like perceiving the experience of sharing a poem with an audience at you know through this this um through what i imagine the lens of other people hmm. seeing me is i said that in a little bit of a convoluted way but um versus turning it turning the camera the other way out of selfie mode and just focusing outward to how can i how can i be present with these people you know even when I'm, you know, virtual here. Um, and for me, a lot of that is 
about connecting to myself at the same time. It's an interesting thing. I can't connect with other people unless I'm deeply connected with myself. And part of that comes from my ongoing, um, you know, just personal practices and spiritual practices. And, um, and also for me, and this is something that I would love to touch on later because the, the writing prompt that I provided for this week relates to um, embodiment and reconnecting with ourselves. And I feel like I've been on this journey of sort of this ongoing reunion with my body um, because I, I've lived so much of my life like operating like a brain on a stick, you know, or a brain on a pogo stick is what I really call it. <laughs> and um, like bouncing around and but being very much in my head, very, um, very insular in certain ways. And so to, to heal my relationship with my body and that has been transformative, you know, and to do that through all kinds of healing work and through, um, through dance. I love to dance, um, just freestyle in my living room, you know, um, all of these things actually help me to, um, to inhabit poems differently. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I'm always learning. Um, but I think the sweet spot is when I can be present in the moment with my body, with the feeling and the words. And, um, I actually, I really believe in incorporating movement before I perform, like really getting into my body, rolling my shoulders, doing some exercises. Um, and then also, uh, before I write, I want to do that more and more. Um, I often forget but when I dance before I write, it changes. It changes so much because I'm much more connected to my feelings. I'm connected to what it is to be human. And that comes through. And and I'm really trying to practice being conscious, like in, in arrhythmia, because it is especially because it's a poem directly about the body. I wanted to really have a sense of um like really inhabiting the poem and really inhabiting my body in these different details. So that's something that I continue to to work with and and um, and I always, I see myself as like a hybrid poet, um, because I don't necessarily feel like my style is, um, sort of traditional slam poetry, but I also don't feel like my style is necessarily a lot of what I've heard in the way of like so-called page poetry. And so, um, being a hybrid is very on brand for me. So, um, so yeah, that's, it's just the way it flows out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great advice. I think dancing before, I mean, you get the blood flowing in your brain and the endorphins and all that stuff and the emotions of movement. And I always think of, um, you know, poetry is bodily anyway, you know, like it's the, the medium is the body. It's the breath and the heart and that regulation of that and uh, the way we move our mouths and when we speak that dance. And uh, so it's really cool advice to to dance before you write. I like that. Never heard it before. I might have to try it, even though I can't dance, but uh, I can pretend. Nobody so cannot dance. Yes, right. <laughs> thing. Well, my friend Megan back in college, I remember her saying, you know, we were at this intimate little concert. People were the sort of thing where if you go up and dance, like everybody can see, you know, like very small. And, you know, I was hanging back all self-conscious in my head and you know, my friend Megan just like pulled me out of my chair and she's like, nobody knows how to dance. They all just wiggle. And <laughs> I have held on to that for, you know, years and years because, um, cause it's so liberating. And that, again, it's like, there's, if, if we can create a judgment free zone for creating and for being in our bodies, it changes everything. If we're not so focused on 
what do I look like right now? Mm -hmm. Um, or like, what's the right way to do this, but instead just being present and like being intuitive and listening to like, what does my body want to do? Um, and you know, where do the words want to take me? Um, it's the same, it's the same. Mm Mm-hmm. And you mentioned confidence, too, and that's one of the things I was thinking about when, um, you know, you're performing and talking about being good at it. I think one of the things that people have trouble with is is sort of standing up for their own words, you know, and having confidence that, that the words mean something and have value. And so we're not rushing through as we read or we're not, like, hesitating and being afraid to say something. And you're just having the strength to say what the words are on the page. Is, is that something you ever had to overcome or did you always feel like, like that was, was that natural to have confidence in what you'd written? Oh no, absolutely. Absolutely. I am a human. (laughs) Um, yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, I mentioned the young writers club, um, that I was part of in starting in fourth grade and they, um, uh, started doing, uh, twice a year, they would have intergenerational poetry slams at the public library. So like very gentle, you know, secret ballot, not this, you know, like very, um, uh, like more intense experience for people who weren't familiar with that at all. And, you know, I was an incredibly painfully shy fourth grader. And for reasons I still do not understand, I chose zero pressure from anybody else. I chose to sign up for the poetry slam. Mm -hmm. And it was just like something took hold of me where it was like, oh, I want to do this thing, even though I never wanted to be in the spotlight. And, um, and then I did that for years and years, you know, through high school, um, I moved away for college. Um, and I remember um, there was this poet, lovely, lovely poet, Jack McCarthy. I really enjoy his work. Um, he's not with us anymore, mm-hmm. but uh, he um, very well known and well loved, um, especially in the Boston, Massachusetts poetry scene and uh, uh, slam poetry in particular. And he would come. So I grew up in Massachusetts in the suburbs and he would come um to the poetry slam and do his thing. And it was just magic. And I remember having this sense of just, you know, but it was, it was not, it was not over the top in any way in the presentation. It was so organic. It was so human to human. Um, he, he told stories, you know, with his poems um, in this wonderful way so that, you know, he would start and you'd almost think like, not be sure if he was still segueing into the poem or if it was the poem. And, um, but I remember how much that um, imprinted on me. And, and I'm realizing just in this moment, speaking with you, that I wonder if that's part of, you know, sort of how I found my way into the kinds of longer, mm-hmm. you know, narrative poems that I tend toward. Um, but um, yeah, I, I definitely, I remember having such admiration for people who, um, you know, either could memorize their poems or who just really got up there and owned it. And um, I lived in New York City for 11 years. We go to events at like the New Yorican Poets Cafe, um, famous, famous poetry spot in the Lower East Side, in Manhattan. And um, once I performed there and the rest of the times I, um, I, you know, was just a listener in the audience and the things that people would do, you know, um, on stage with poetry, it was so powerful and so alive. And I remember definitely some comparison coming up, like, mm, like I think I should be more like this. And I think that's one of the things that held me back mm. from, um, like I had had a goal of, I mean, there's still the rest of my life, um, uh, a goal of doing a poetry slam at the New Yorican. And I just couldn't, 
get up the nerve to do it because I was like, well, it has to sound like this. You know, it has to have this cadence. It needs to be really forceful. Um, it probably should be angry, you know, <laughs> like, um, or just very emotive and expressive and, and it needs to be memorized, which is like my greatest fear. Um, uh, I'm working on it a little bit, but so definitely it's something that I have come into bit by bit and, um, yeah, it's it's an ongoing process, but I definitely I mean, I was extremely nervous about this today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I still get very nervous. But once I once I show up in myself mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of find my groove. I I know that this is part of what I was made to do. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. I was at the, the Christmas concert at the middle school. And I was just thinking, you know, if, if instead of like teaching kids to sing, they just did like a public speaking, embarrass yourself. What's that guy who does the workshops where you just kind of like stand up and do goofy things until you like don't care anymore? I can't remember his name. Sure. Yeah. yeah, but but that's all that the public speaking workshop are is just embarrassing yourself in front of people. So you realize <laughs> nobody cares, <laughs> you know, yeah. and then uh, if they do that, they just be able to sing. But they're just so terrified yeah. like the in the play too we were there's a play and it was supposed to be like 45 minutes and because everybody was talking so fast it was like 28 or something like that. <laughs> so um yeah i mean it's tough it's tough at all ages but uh, especially middle school i guess but um oh but anyway everybody should remind me i'm gonna i'll play uh jack mccarthy's whole chalupa uh which was in rattle number 27 i think uh during the open lines later so i, I have it up oh. and if i don't do it remind me but yeah we love jack mccarthy too bad he's gone but but he was great and you'll see exactly everything emily was talking about in uh, the whole chalupa which you don't even know where the poem starts it's true <laughs> <laughs> um it's wonderful i have i have some a recording of his um a cd um that he did and it's so beautiful to to have his his voice you know um delivering you know delivering those pieces because there's so much in there that's just you know there's so much in the human voice when it's really delivered in an embodied way mm -hmm. that um the page has its own benefits and, and fun things that you can do and, and different layers of meaning that you can add that way, but it's not the same. There's something, you know, that's really magic. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I think the page, like the reader, it's the reader's body that becomes the medium, you know? Yeah. And so when you're reading, yeah. you know, even if you're just sitting there, you kind of, you know, a little bit, there's a little bit of a dance going if you're really into a poem, you know? Mm -hmm. And then the trick is to get that you know, out on, in, in front of people, you know, up in front of a crowd or whatever. Um, I don't know. It's a really interesting thing to compare. Cause it's such a different thing to be absorbing it that way versus, versus listening and hearing and, and watching somebody perform a poem. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love, I love the way you put that, um, that poems on the page are, you know, they're being embodied by, by the person reading them. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, so if anybody has any questions for Emily, uh, leave them in the chat windows, either on Facebook or YouTube, and I'll pass them along. Uh, but in the meantime, let's hear another poem. All right. Um, well, um, speaking of the body, um, I'll read this next one. Um, it's a poem called Self-Portrait is the short title. Um, and um, so last week's uh, Open Lines writing prompt was on um, telling secrets, but kind of still hidden in metaphor so that there's still a way in which it's like revealing, but not completely revealing. And um, this is a poem that I uh, started writing, I think this past fall. Um, so I'd already written it essentially, um, although I did some revising in the, in the past week a little bit. Um, 
but I, I thought that I would read it so that it was sort of in conversation with that prompt um, because it is a revelation and it's all in metaphor. Um, and I'm not providing the legend for what everything equals. <laughs> it's a little mystery. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I wrote this actually as an exercise in radical self-love. Um, and I challenged myself to reframe um, every part of my body that I felt ashamed of and um, or, or that I saw as undesirable. And I wanted to create like this catalog of celebratory, endearing nicknames for all the parts of myself from head to toe. So, um, so here we go. Um, this is called, oh, actually, and I want to read first a very short poem by Lucille Clifton, um, because the title of my poem, uh, is inspired by uh, a line from her poem, Won't You Celebrate With Me? So this is Won't You Celebrate With Me by Lucille Clifton. Won't you celebrate with me what I have shaped into a kind of life? I had no model. Born in Babylon, both non-white and woman, what did I see to be except myself? I made it up here on this bridge between starshine and clay. My one hand holding tight my other hand. Come celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. So that's one I love. Um, and so my poem is called Self-Portrait 1984 to 2023, Reclaimed Letters, Starshine, Brown Clay, Dimensions Variable, Not For Sale. My corkscrew crown, surprise storylines, delicate receivers, fringe benefits, jacuzzi jets, all-time shine achievers my high beam revelations and kissing constellations, my full moon foothills, everglades, sunland rivers, dappled shades, my patchwork quilts of badges earned from edges met and pages turned, my dimple cakes, home base, main squeeze, my dear expandabilities, my swinging sisters, magic makers, laughter bends, red pepper shakers, my butter-melting biscuits, Queen V in a crimson dress, South Central sprawling garden, God bless the Yes Express. My miracle mile, high-rise dream, my castanets, and who'd forget, my wonderflex, my touchdown team. Oh, that's great. Great rhymes. And then, of course, for people just listening, that's a shape poem, um, kind of like um, a, a body um, so very interesting to share that. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, wonderful. And and the rhyme is more intense than uh, the other poems. Uh, was mm -hmm. that something that you did? It just come out that way, or was that something you were going for at the start? Well, you know, um, some poems of mine um, tend toward rhyme, but for the most part, not so much. And so when it starts to happen, it's it's always accidental. Um, and in this case. I was noticing it in like different, just like a couple words here and there. And so I actually did end up going back in my many revisions to, um, to tease it out in a way that would feel more um, rhythmically, uh, you know, just more rhythmically even um, because otherwise it was just sort of like one here and one there, but you might not fully catch it. Um, so I did, I did have a lot of fun with that and with the challenge of 
creating a poem that um, that would move that would move uh, me and um, you know and and my body and my sense of self and also uh, that would move in its cadence in a way that felt fun for me and um, that was. Uh, that was, I guess, like all play, you know, and, and just trying something different. So I do, I do sometimes love to, to play with rhyme uh, when it's, when it's me making the rules. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) So we've got a great sense of uh, who you are and as a poet, Um, but let's talk about some of the stuff you do now. Um, So talk about wild honey words and what you're doing with that. And, um, and, and why, you know, why do you want to get poetry out into the world in this way? Yes. Um, so Wild Honey Words is a shop that I just officially launched a few weeks ago. It's an online boutique and it features um, decor, journals, apparel, accessories of all different kinds. I'm going to be launching a line of greeting cards this year, which I'm super excited about. Um, that's been something that was actually one of my first entrepreneurial pursuits when I was 11. Um, and uh basically everything that I sell features um, my words and my designs and or my designs. At first I was trying to make it so that every single thing had words on it. And then I cut myself some slack because I realized that some things just didn't lend themselves as much or just wanted to be just the designs. But I'm also a visual artist and I'm getting back to my roots um, with that as well. And so it's been really fun to try, excuse me, um, merging different forms of media, um, both things that are handmade and also learning new digital um, design and whatnot and layering them all together um, with words. And I, this is something that is such a, it's the sort of thing that makes so much sense for me to do um, now that I'm living into it. And there are also a lot of days when I'm like, what are we doing again? (laughs) Because uh, it takes an enormous amount of work. And right now um, I am wearing many, many hats. Um, But uh, it is something that I have been, I've actually been passionate about the idea of bringing poetry into everyday life for years and years, way before I had the idea for this specifically. Mm -hmm. And um, I've always loved when I come across something like a journal or um, a mural on, you know, by a bus stop or a um, a tiny, a line on a, you know, a yogi tea bag or whatever that has, that uses words, creative language um, in a space that's just like you stumble upon it. And it can be such a, um, just a moment of revelation, of connection, you know, of laughter, what have you. And I knew that I wanted to be putting out my words in various ways where people could just sort of stumble upon them in different ways and they could be integrated into people's everyday lives. Um, And also from a practical point of view, I was conscious, you know, um, there's so much, uh, there's so much stereotyping around like the starving artist and in particular poets being like the bottom of the barrel. Um, And I don't believe that. I don't, you know, like I I work very hard to embrace an abundance mindset. Um, And 
something that I felt for years before, you know, starting this was this sense of like, I don't know how, but I believe that there are ways to make a living making poetry and making it a part of people's everyday lives. And, um, and the truth was, you know, I, I saw the limitations of if it's only in literary journals or if it's only, you know, in a teaching context, um, that, that cuts out so many people, you know, who could potentially be engaged with it. And the people who would enjoy and be changed by um, stumbling into something. Uh, so that is a little bit of, you know, sort of like the vision behind it. And it's very much... Um, I have a real vision for a sense of like hospitality mm -hmm. in, in making what I make. I, um, years ago, uh, when I was living in New York, I visited the Nicholas Roerich, uh, museum on the upper west side of Manhattan. I may have butchered his name. Um, but, uh, he was a Russian born painter who did all these fabulous, um, glowing, colorful paintings of the Himalayas, um, imbued with like this real spiritual sense. And the museum is very non-traditional. It's housed in this, um, like this old um, sort of townhouse brownstone. Um, and it's, when you walk in, it just feels so, it's like cozy and very personal. There's paintings like everywhere and it's three stories and you can just wander around. And I, after visiting that, it, it so affected me. I decided that I wanted one of the poetry manuscripts that I'm working on, which was the first full length one that I started working on. I wanted it to feel like that. And more recently, I have connected the fact that I want my shop, Wild Honey Words, to feel like that. When people mm -hmm. come to it, I want it to feel like this is a gallery museum of art and interesting things and beautiful things. And I get to engage with this and whether or not I buy something, I get to be part of, I get to have this experience and, and share in creativity. So, um, so that's been, you know, part of my vision. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And of course, something that, that I've thought about and is very dear to me too, is just trying to get poetry to more people. You know, it seems sort of, I always think of like poets are like the low hanging fruit of getting poetry out there. You know, you can spread stuff to poets really easily, but then, um, but then getting to people who don't, you know, don't read poetry very often um, can be, you know, it's really tends to be off-putting and intimidating and there's that sense of like like what's the riddle that I have to dissect for this poem and it's like work you know <laughs> or like even the marketing I, I really don't like National Poetry Month because it's marketed as if it were like medicine you know it's like don't forget to take your poetry it's National Poetry Month you know <laughs> instead of like like something you know really enriching and rewarding for its own sake yeah. and yeah. Um, I don't know so it's just fascinating to, to try this effort to get words you know, onto, into art, into that like livable art, not just art that's like in some gallery, but art that's going to be on someone's couch all, all the time. Yeah. Um, how do you, uh, one thing that I'm always sort of interested in is how to extract like things from poems in a way that they work. Because so often like quotes are like in the context and like where it lands is where it works really well. But then if you see it alone, it doesn't have the power. And then if you like isolate it out, when you get to it, when you read it later, I mean, this is mostly on social media. I'm always like excerpting poems daily for the last 15 years for social media. And I don't know if I should, the best line might not be the best one to use, that kind of thing. How do you go about picking poems that or lines from poems that work here? And is there something that you're aiming for when you, when you do this kind of, uh, this kind of, uh, what would you call it? Like, what do you call it like pop art or uh, commercial art? Um, 
I think I have a little bit of an allergic reaction <laughs> to the idea of commercial art because yeah. I feel like, that's cert- like it's seen in a certain kind of way. Mm-hmm. And I think also because uh, I, I really care about making things that I enjoy and that feel authentic to some part of me, some facet of me, even if they're on the lighter, more fun end or whatever they might be. Um, like I will say that I had uh, a teacher in high school who uh, an English teacher who talked about um, poems that have teeth mm-hmm. and that the idea of like really like sinking in like poems that uh, you know that sort of like twist something in you you know in, in a good way and um, and so in Wild Honey Words I'm not necessarily going to put a whole lot of poems that have you know like the real like grit and teeth in them because not necessarily everybody like wants to wear that on you know a dress um <laughs> but like there's a space for it um but i think it's it's such an interesting um yeah i don't i don't have a name for it yet sort of it's it's a little bit like creative copy writing um but then it's also this um again i guess i come back to the collage idea where it's like I, I mean, I have drawers and boxes full of collage materials because that's one of my favorite, that is my favorite uh, media as a visual artist. And um, it's that sense of like, let me let me take this from, from this source and, and this over here. And if I put them adjacent to each other, um, how will they create a new conversation? And um, so definitely with my products, I'm really interested in ways of, playing with layers of meaning so that the the purpose of the item, the function of the item um, is in relationship to the words that appear on it and as well as the visuals um, and finding different ways of, um, so like I have like um, tote bags that are, uh, I have lots of tote bags that I really am enjoying doing those, um, tote bags that are, um, you know, transit themed, um, cause I spent so many years, uh, writing transit in New York. So, you know, the requisite tote bag and I, and I, and I saw it in that context. And I have one that's, um, made out of a collage of, um, transit cards from six different cities. Um, and something like that, that has this sense of, um, form and function. Um, I'm also working on, um, uh, a lot of sports bras that are, that are designed that have, you know, I want there to be this idea of like, this is a moral support boost with the words on it and it's practical, you know? And so I, I like this idea of like, how can I play with, um, play with the different dimensions, but it is, it is challenging. At first, when I started the process, I was combing through different poems of mine that existed and looking for those nuggets again, like you said, you know, that could be standalone. Um, And it was more challenging than I expected. Um, And so what I'm learning is that I sort of, I I do write a lot of things originally for the products now. Um, And then there are some things that I'm, I'm wanting to move into more like framed poetry prints and different things where I can have a longer, um, a longer piece that can have more context to it. some of my journals and different things like that, um, laptop cases, you know, like it can have a little bit more um, space for for words. Um, but it is sort of this dance of um, finding new 
like creating the context with the physical function of the item instead of having the, the context of a poem. So it is a very different sort of art form, um, but adjacent. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, very interesting. It was interesting too um, at the at the Wrightwood Literary Festival, which you, you've popped up for last spring, to see all the different ways people are doing different things with art that that make it sort of you know viable economically at the same time as um, actually making art too, which is a really interesting thing because we have this I don't know. There's a sort of sense, especially poets have that like you know poetry is is priceless, so I can't think about it as a commodity, you know, and then we end up you know making you know, fifty fifteen dollars from publishing in an online magazine or something. And then I don't know. So it's interesting to try I actually had a really interesting experience too with the arts. Um at an art show where somebody who makes um 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 ceramics, um that the amount of money that they were selling them for, I was like, wow, I need to get into a, the art business <laughs> instead of, or like find a way to like, you know, make poetry art or something because, um, you know, there's a lot more because people get to live with art in a way that like they don't, you know, a book is on the shelf and they enjoy it while they're enjoying it. And there's this whole sense of, um, um, you know, like a book is like something that we know and understand and we like read a book once and then maybe a couple of years later we read it again and it's on our shelves looking nice on our bookshelf like we're educated and have read. And, um, <laughs> and, and so, and, and really, I mean, the reason why I love poetry books is because you come back to them over and over again, but there's really not that sense. And so they have, they're sort of valued the same as like a novel would be. And so there's a lot of problems economically with poetry. I mean, we, we could get into a lot more than that too. But um, yeah. it's really fascinating to see different attempts at, at making it work. Um, how long have you had this idea to do it? Is it something that you've been like thinking about for a long time? Like it, there's a lot of, a lot of material here. I was showing for people just listening. I was showing, um, different pages and items as uh, Emily was talking before. So if you're only listening on the iTunes and stuff like that, go back and find the YouTube video or find wildhoneywords.com and, and, and watch for yourself. But, um, but yeah, so, so how long, I mean, there's a lot of material here. You've been at hard at work. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and um, so I've been working, I was working on it for 22 months before um, officially launching. I actually did like a very soft launch um, uh, this past fall um, with some close circles, um, who, uh, my close circle of folks um, who I uh, consider like my dream doulas um, and uh and then I got some feedback around things and um, uh, had a lot of things to still refine, but it was really an important step for me to um, to make it live and available. And I just was, it was very under the radar though. Like I wasn't telling anyone, you know, on social media or anything because the site was still, you know, in progress. And to be quite honest, it's still in progress. Um, but there's a point, um, there's a point where, I'm learning that it's more important to have, you know, my, my friend Megan, who's a dear friend of mine from my, my writers group um, in New York, which I've been part of for 14 years or something now, um, via Zoom now, um, she said, you know, live is better than perfect. And uh, as a recovering perfectionist, that is uh, not a thing I like to lean into, but, um, but that has been the practice too, to recognize that there's enough there um because i actually have you have no idea how many design files and products that are almost ready to go but that you know wearing all the other hats has has you know delayed um my getting it out there um but uh yeah it has been quite a stretch the last almost two years um and um 
there was a turning point in late February of 2021 where I was coming back into my energy um, and able to um, really able to invest in going for it. And so I just started. And at first I thought like, oh, I'll get this up. Like it'll be ready in two weeks for, you know, um, International Women's Day. And then I can do a special thing with like these, you know, women empowerment items. I had, I was, I was so naive. (laughs) (laughs) So um, yeah, it it has been such a process, um, which is humbling and and beautiful and messy. Mm Well, uh, it's been such a fun discussion. We haven't done enough poems, I don't think. Uh, do you mind staying a little late and reading so we could have uh, time for two more poems? Sure, sure. Not okay, well, let's do a poem and then one more, some questions and then one last poem. So two poems left, if you want. Sure, sure. Okay. Um, well, I will uh, go ahead with, just double check, I'm not forgetting one. Um, I'm going to go ahead with The Art of Making History, which is a short one here. Okay. And this one um, was inspired by a vessel that I found at the museum of uh, the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York um, that was made of Roman glass, which I didn't know what that was before. But there are these gorgeous um, glass vessels that essentially they, um, in being buried in the sand over you know eons, there's a quality to the glass that actually it takes on this. Um, this gorgeous iridescence and color. And um, I just couldn't take my eyes off them. So it led me to uh, to write this poem about, um, well, you'll see what it's about. <laughs> All right. The Art of Making History. Fluid curves, a generous mouth. If I were a flask of stories to be poured out, I'd rather age like Roman glass growing more brilliant with the weight of time. None of this fading, crumbling away. If history becomes us, what we make of ourselves, I choose to be seen as a work of art. It takes a lifetime to acquire iridescence, to shimmer like Mediterranean waters, gilded pages, pink champagne. Resting in the sand, I'll rediscover sunlight as fingers gently brush away the years. My memories worth preserving. When I live in a museum, I'll keep you gazing into the display case. Make your warm hands burn to hold me. Yeah, that was The Art of Making History by Emily Ruth Hazel. Um, There was a question from um, um, Curious Seeds. Um, they ask, uh, Emily, are you planning on any online workshops that someone in Australia can attend? So how often do you do workshops and, and do you do them online? <clears throat> that is a wonderful question. I actually have not done any workshops online as of yet, but I am open to the possibility. Um, and I definitely will say that um, I love I love that Zoom makes all things possible. <laughs> um, so, yeah, definitely. Um I would be happy for you to to reach out to me if you're if you're interested in something like that. You can um, find my um, email address on my website, which is emilyruthhazel.com. Um, so it's just Emily at emilyruthhazel.com. 
um, feel free to reach out. Thank you so much for the question. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's really great. And, and then, of course, um, assuming uh, whoever this is, it's in Australia. You know, it's like 4 or 5 a.m. right there, there right now. So it's really cool. To, I just love it when we get stuff around the world. It's really fun. Um, uh, so your prompt, um, usually we do the prompt at the very end of the show, but your prompt is kind of a interesting and complicated prompt. So do you want to <laughs> do you want to talk a little bit about because you mentioned it, uh, you know, having to do with a, a sort of a spiritual thing and also um, with, um, you know, using wild honey words, too. So so what is your prompt and, and explain it for us? Sure. Um, well, let me actually pull it up here. Um, it's a little reference for myself. Um, so I love doing things that have layers to them, as you will discover. <laughs> um, and a quick question. Did you make this just for the show or was this already on Wild Honey Words? I okay. did. I just, I just created this page today. Very cool. Um, so I've been up to a lot of things um, and, I, and I did. Um, but this is something that I uh, want to do actually um, more. So, so for the listeners, um, I've created a page on the Wild Honey Words shop site um, which is just dedicated to offering um, what I call creative jump starts. Um, so essentially writing prompts and maybe I'll do some, some art making prompts as well down the road. And cause I really, um, I just really believe in making space for other people's words as well. Um, that's part of my vision with wild honey words and, and as a human, um, in the world. And, um, so I wanted to offer something, you know, just that's like a resource place where you can come by and, um, find some find some creative inspiration um, for your own writing. Um, so I have set up the page. Uh, it's wildhoneywords.com slash create. And um, and the first um, the first prompt is called Embodied Poetry Scavenger Hunt. And um, it involves a an exploration of what it means to cross pollinate essentially, um, because that's my jam and, um, and it's, you know, in with the, the honey theme. Um, and so essentially I'm inviting you to come to the landing page for, um, the creative prompts and everything is laid out for you there. Um, the, the gist of it is that you're going to choose a list of words, um, and then just a list of five words. And then you're going to look for those five words hidden somewhere on the Wild Honey Words website on other pages. Um, and all of the words appear more than once. Um, so you can just, you know, the first place you find one um, and you can totally use the search bar at the bottom menu. You don't have to, you know, consider that cheating or something um, if you want to do the, the quicker route. Um, and so when you find one of those words on your um, on your list, then you'll also choose a word, another word, an adjective, noun, or verb from that same page where you found it. So that essentially you'll have a pair. And actually, I forgot to say this, but um, if you can challenge yourself to um, to choose an unlikely pair, so the other word that you choose from that page, something that's that's um, not really related, and then ultimately. Um, going to incorporate some movement um and that involves and don't be afraid <laughs> i mean you can feel I already however am, but that's okay <laughs> <laughs> um you get to feel however you feel but um 
inventing a simple dance move for each of the 10 words that you ultimately gather. And this can be, this can be private. This could be in your closet. Like you don't have to like, whatever. It also can be very simple. You know, it can be just a particular gesture with your arm or, you know, um, whatever it is, whatever is available for you mobility wise, and also, you know, your comfort zone. Um, but the point is to embody like to connect with the words in a different way, like to think about like, okay, my word is whatever, let's say it's, um, I'm gonna choose one that's not on the list, um, nectar, um, you know, like how would I express that with my body? So it's a little bit charades-y, but, um, but mostly it's for myself to be able to connect, you know, to have different parts of my brain connecting. Um, and, and again, that also will change the way that you show up to the page. I also encourage writing by hand, if at all possible, um, because, and I write all my poems longhand first until they become like extremely messy drafts with arrows everywhere and scribbles and multiple colors of ink. Um, and I think that that's, uh, that's key to the process, um, at least for me, um, and, and certainly for this exercise, I encourage it. Um, and so then you're going to, write a poem that includes the 10 words that you've gathered um, and try to weave in some sensory details and just experiences of being in a human body um, in, in whatever way that that unfolds. So I also um, would love to read poems that folks write um, inspired by this. So I do have on that page as well, my social media um, tags. Um, so it's wildhoneywords.shop. Um, on Facebook and on Instagram. So if you'll tag me, um, I would love to read your poem and be able to send some love your way and um, just make it more of like a, a community um, conversation. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun. And I'm glad to be forced to do the dance thing because I don't know if I actually <laughs> would do it. But if I'm forced to, I'm forced to, you know, so <laughs> what can yeah, I do? Yeah. And I'm interested <laughs> to see how that feels. So um yeah, let's try this out. Thanks for for sharing such a such a cool uh, prompt. It's gonna be fun to do for everybody, um, I think. Yeah, yeah, and of course that's at wildhoneywords.com, So find that, and um, yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, let's finish out with um, your last poem. What poem do you want to finish out with? I would love to finish with everything I need. Sorry, everything I know we need. I picked up at Trader Joe's, <laughs> and this one, um, this one literally is hot off the printer and. Um, I used to work at Jader Joe's, uh, and this poem has been evolving over several years and it is the current state that it is in now. Um, it arrived there this afternoon. Um, <laughs> so, so here we go. Actually, let me just make this a little bit bigger. There we go. Okay. Everything I know we need, I picked up at Trader Joe's. With New Year's resolutions still so fresh and January ready to be juiced, I don't know why we got shorted organic celery hearts again. I don't know which bread your mother-in-law meant, though you swear it's pumpernickel with a blue label. But I know how much getting it right matters to you and to me. And I know I can't give everyone exactly what they had in mind, but most people exit through the entrance with more than they expected. 
as every parent converting a shopping cart into a portable playground portable playpen knows. I know every day is a series of interrupting questions. I know perseverance was born in a Trader Joe's parking lot. I know that after six straight days of work, just before sundown, God made almond Danish kringle, then, sat, then sank into a chair in the break room, bit into a warm slice and said, now that's good. I know the woman who pays for her weekly $9 bag of organic walnuts with nickels, dimes, and pennies is awfully generous to the bougie squirrels in her backyard. I know waiting is a spiritual discipline for which none of us are grateful the week before Thanksgiving. I know being together is a precarious arrangement, the weight of our wants stacked on top of each other like pyramids of glass jars full of pasta sauce. I know that sometimes we just need someone else to notice the cracks in our eggs or to give us their vote of confidence in what we are planning to make of our choices. And we all deserve a little extra care, like peaches and pears nestled on a bed of Tuscan kale, safe from the edges of raspberry boxes. I know we all have days when we're one cupcake short of a birthday party. Days when we misplace our keys, our children, our minds. Days we leave our wallets and our manners at home. I know everyone hates to hear that their go-tos have gone on to make space for new loves. I too stockpile for the snack apocalypse, fearing that the objects of my obsession may become extinct. I know sometimes the world feels like the frozen aisle. And I can read the temperatures of I'm well, I'm great, I'm fine, and I'm okay. I know how hard we work to camouflage our bald spots and make our shelves look full. I know most of us forget what we are here for until we are about to leave. And even if you only came in for the free coffee and company, before you go, I want to give you something for the road. I know a shared laugh or a kind word can salvage a day headed for the dumpster. I've seen thousands of faces, and I know just as many ways to say, I see you. Oh, that was great. Everything I know we need, everything I know we need, I picked up at Trader Joe's by Emily Ruth Hazel. That was just wonderful. And, and that is definitely the Trader Joe's experience that you've, uh, <laughs> you, you've turned into meaning for us. Thanks so much for sharing that. That was great. I mean, thanks for being a guest today. It's really fun talking to you. Uh, a lot of really, really interesting stuff that you're doing and uh, wonderful poems too. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. Yep. Have a good night. Thank you. You too. Yeah. That was Emily Ruth Hazel. You can find Emily at uh, her website, which is emilyruthhazel.com. You can also find um, uh, her uh, her uh, her shop at wildhoneywords.com and the prompt at wildhoneywords.com slash create. So, um, yeah, excellent show. Thanks so much for being a guest, Emily. Now we're going to go to uh, open lines. <clears throat> and how the open lines work is this. Um, I'll put this on the screen. Um, so email your poem to open mic, that's open M-I-C, at rattle.com. Then find the Zoom link in the chat window, which I'm deploying right now. Um, all you have to do is, uh, but but if you're not going to share a poem, just stay right where you are. 
and watch on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or wherever. But if you are going to share a poem, find the Zoom link in the chat window and come on over to the Zoom. It's posted right there. I'll pin it to the top so it's on everybody's screen. And I'll do the same thing on YouTube. I mean, on the same thing on uh, Facebook. And then come over and share a poem. You can share poems about current events that were for Poets Respond. You can share poems about um, 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 the prompt. You can share poems about things that are, you know, stuff you published recently. Whatever you'd like to share, please go ahead and share it. And I will be right back with uh, Open Lines. See you in a minute. Thanks so much for your patience. Uh, the prompt for this week was to uh, write a poem about a secret, but use extended metaphor to keep it a secret. And I kind of struggled with this prompt because I don't really, I mean, I don't know. Who has secrets? I don't really have secrets. <laughs> I just tell everybody too much. I overshare. And um, so I wasn't sure what to write about. Although after I wrote the poem, I thought of something I could write about. But uh, maybe I'll write another secret poem next week. Uh, instead, I kind of just like dove in and just wrote. I put the secret on top of the page and then just started writing to see what would happen. And this is what came up with it. This is called The Secret. And uh, maybe it's some secret that I don't even know. I don't know. We'll see. The Secret. We had to stop for gas and spent the night in the town's one hotel. A mirror on the wall was the portal to another world. All night I laid awake watching the other couple lying there. The man twisted around one sheet like a rope he was climbing, the woman's shoulders at the far end of the bed. There wasn't much distance between them. Every minute the clock gained a minute. Every hour one of them stirred. In the morning came the light, rising slow like a tide over the dingy carpet. Soon they were drowning in it, even while eating their eggs." So that is the secret, my prompt poem for this week. Let's see what you have for us. I think, again, we have a lot of people lined up to read. So let's say, you know, one, two-page max, one longer poem. Like if it's a whole page, just one poem. If it's like two short poems, that's fine. Um, but kind of keeping that ballpark when you do it. So if they're really short, feel free to do two. But otherwise, stick to one. And let's go first to, to um, let's go to Audrey. To be here, Tim. Hi. Yeah. Hey. Happy New Year. Yeah. Happy New Year. Happy to have you here. So oh, good what to be you, back. Yeah. What do you have that you'd like to share? Okay. Uh, I didn't do the prompt, but it's a brand new poem with the ink barely dry, awaiting results of the clinical trial. Wait one second. Let me try to pull it up. Awaiting results. Sure. Hmm. I'm not seeing it here. Let's see. Do you want to try to send it again? Because I didn't get it. Let me check my spam. I don't think. Oh, I it was in spam. It yeah, it was just in spam. Yeah. Report Ooh. not spam. Okay. <laughs> you are now. Okay. You are now not spam. Sorry for. I'm legit. For, yeah. Sorry for whatever. Uh, whatever algorithm yeah. thought you were spam. That sounds insulting. But, <laughs> but thanks for. Okay, okay. Here we go. We got waiting results of the clinical trial. Okay. Awaiting results of the clinical trial. We rise above the ruins. It is true. Propellers whiz above Chichen Itza, lifting spectators from tombs, leaving sleeping spirits undisturbed in pyramids. Mayans believe in miracles, journey through the Yucatan to build a shrine for Mary, the virgin, virgin of Isamel. Here they ask for miracles of healing, 
I too humbly beg. We give you the ch gave you the chance, dear cousin, to swallow the sun's gold while you can still swallow. Embrace your young children while your hug is still warm. Oh, that's great. Awaiting results of the clinical trial. Thanks so much for sharing that, Audrey. Thank you. Happy New Year. Yeah, same to you. Thank you. Yeah, that was Audrey Friedman with um, Awaiting Results of the Clinical Trial. And now uh, let's go to some first-time um, Zoomers. Um, once we have some, uh, some regulars on, let's go to Joe Cottonwood. Uh, okay, thank you. Hey, Joe. Yeah, great um, to see you. My first time, yeah. So tell me if I'm going to break any rules here. <laughs> um, I guess I, I was um, thinking I'd read a response to a prompt. I'm not sure it's the most recent prompt. It was to take 10 words and and um, develop a poem from it. And so I, I did that with, I was reading The Wizard of Oz to my grandson, and I had to pause and make sure he understood some of the words. And after I finished, I thought, you know, this is this is perfect. I'll, I'll, so I, I made a list of the words that I had paused for. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And thought, okay, I'm going to make a poem out of this. And I wrote a poem about a family trip we took to Kansas, uh, which seemed to fit <laughs> in the Wizard of Oz uh, realm. So here's what I came up with. Uh, I, yeah, sounds perfect. Go ahead. Um, yeah, there's no problem with uh, doing old older prompt poems. It's only two weeks old, too. So go okay. ahead. I I did. I emailed it to you. I don't know whether. Yeah, I have it right here. So go ahead and just read your version of it. It's called Kansas. Hair cut short to look lawful, not awful. Obey limits so the man won't eyeball this paisley painted bus. Trucks hauling shit odor stock pass with an air shock womp. We stand by a grain elevator in blasting prairie breeze, ozone scent of cyclone, but no clouds. Throw rocks as high as we can, watch them curve, blown by air. If we jump, will we curve? Not much. Two-lane asphalt, soft from the heat. I take a wrong turn and ask at a gas station, can you tell me where I am? Attendant, golden like a good witch, laughs. I wish I knew. Past the last brick-paved little town, toward evening among endless golden wheat, there's a square of green, sward of grass, a house gaunt like an orphan, roof above garret, bowed as if by a great weight, a banging screen door. Aunt Juanita says, we're dirty and smelly. So she sets burgers and taters on a table outside. Joining us is one marvelous insect that gently hovers, sets down, size of a baseball made of air and thin wire. Gray body with delicate spindly legs like, and lichen-like scales of no apparent use except beauty. Munchkins and I bend close, heads bowed like prayer over the tabletop, examining, exclaiming, oh, wow, until Juanita's big hand goes whap 
and crushes it with her napkin. It's my farm, Juanita says, and that's that. Yeah, thanks so much, Joe. That was great. Um, and and where, uh, where are you calling from? I forgot to ask. Oh, I'm in La Honda, California. Ah, very cool. Well, thanks so much for joining us, and it's a pleasure, and I hope you can join us again. Yep, take care. Like it was uh, Joe Cottonwood with uh, Kansas. Let's go next to another first-time uh, Zoomer. Let's go to Jenna Prunty. Hello. Hey, Jenna, great to see you. So uh, where are you calling from? I'm coming from Evergreen, Colorado, but I go to college in Florida. Ah, okay, cool. Well, so glad you could join us. And what do you have to share? I'm sharing a very short poem with you guys today. Um, It is called A Sapling No Longer. Um, And I got the inspiration by one person I saw protesting, and they had a sign that said, respect my existence or expect my resistance. And I really liked that. Yeah, Yeah, I really liked the word choice on that. So I decided to write a poem with it and just kind of take it where it went. Very cool. Let's hear it. A A sapling no longer. I hold my hands as if my palms bloomed flowers. I hold my hands delicately yet firm and strong. I hold your gaze, my eyes a blue time and blanket covering the shine of my daggers. My head doesn't look down anymore because I have grown from being a palm tree doubled over by the wind to an oak reaching his limbs to the gods. I wear my name as a title, not as a brand. I wear your handprints as a painting. A tragedy of purples, reds, blues, and blacks, not as scars. Respect my existence or expect my resistance. Ah, great. I love where your handprints is a painting. Excellent. Thanks so much for sharing that. And Thank I hope, you so much for yeah. having me. Yeah, my pleasure. I hope you can uh, join us again soon. Thank you. Yeah, that was uh, Jenna Prenti with uh, A Sapling No Longer. And for everybody who's new, um, you can drop off the Zoom and go back to YouTube or Facebook if you want once you read your poem, because then you can read along with uh, the poems and see them on screen too, like we were for Emily. And also hear um, The Whole Chalupa later, which I still have up. We'll do that after we do the the Zoom. We'll do uh, Jack McCarthy's The Whole Chalupa. So uh, go back to the, the YouTube or Facebook to catch the rest of that if you'd like. Let's go to Carla Schwartz next. <clears throat> Hi. Um, what a great night so far yeah. and thank you and um so my prompt poem is super short and i was with you with the um the idea that you know who has secrets and how do you have secrets and <laughs> so um i wrote a poem called advice to secret bearers mm, interesting the secret to having a secret is getting away with it, is to not share it, but to keep it to yourself like you would a blunt stain on your underwear. If you must wear it, don't reveal it. Guard your secret. Never show it. Never tell it. Excellent. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that. And that's what I was thinking, too. Like, I don't have secrets of my own, but I got secrets I'm not supposed to tell about other people. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I think I mean, it was kind of uh, going against what I was thinking about for the prompt to, to talk about other people's secrets. So I, I was stuck. But um, but I could work. That was, I could work. Wasn't this your prompt? Wasn't this <laughs> your prompt? It was my prompt. Yeah. Like I said, I was thinking just about the... Um, 
um, you know, that, that it, the way expressive writing heals. And just, I was always wondering if it would still work. Like, I really would love if James Pennebaker did a new study and you only wrote in metaphor, if it would still have the same effect on your, in your health, um, uh, to reveal your secrets without saying them directly. Um, uh, but anyway, do you have a, you have another poem too? Is it I, short? I do. It's, it's a little longer, uh, but it's not that long. Hmm. It's you know it, we have uh, we have sixteen people so, on the line. Okay, yeah, then I think forget we're just gonna it. Forget save it for next week if you want. Uh, I'll right, just right. say that it's a poem that has um, the secret in it is like a secret in a totem that the, and all the secrets are hidden in the box of right. the totem and that's it that's all awesome. i'll say yeah well thanks for right. maybe next week or we'll sure you hear something else next week too thanks so much all right bye bye yep, take care good night yeah that was carla schwartz with uh advice to secret bears definitely good advice um let's go uh next we have another first time caller um alma rosa alvarez hi everybody hey thanks so, so much for joining us and where are you calling from i'm calling from ashland oregon excellent so I am reading a poem that is a reader respond to news poem, mm -hmm. um, something that I'm actually holding pretty heavy in my heart um, because um, it's about a kidnapping that has happened to four young people in Mexico um, uh, mm -hmm. on the day of Christmas. And so the title of my poem is Amarga Navidad, which translates to Bitter Christmas. It's a very famous Mexican song. Um, that is about loss of a uh, romantic love. But in this case, this is the loss of these four young people that have yet to be found. So Amarga Navidad. One, a father and mother make a video they will need help to upload where they each hold a picture of a daughter. The oldest daughter's fiance's car was found abandoned in a vecindario aptly named Las Víboras. He is nowhere to be found. His family in Ohio grieves. The young woman's parents ask with emotion wrung dry after a, almost a week of crying for information on their whereabouts, fearing the worst. They have heard that people choosing to remain anonymous for fear of reprisal told the press that they heard their daughter's screams as they were taken away. Two. Less is said about the cousin that accompanied the sisters, but her mother wonders aloud, is she cold? Has she eaten? She imagines the cousins huddled together, trying to combat the cold. Three, I asked my mother if she knows any of the families. They were no one she knew, but she says it still hurts. Oh, very Thank touching you. at the end. Important poem. Thanks so much for sharing that. Uh, it's an important you. story, and we appreciate it. Thanks so much, Alma, for joining us, and uh, hope you can do it again soon. Thank you. Yep, take care. Um, let's Next, we will go to um, Anne Van Witterden. Hi. <laughs> hey, how are you doing tonight? Great. So, Happy New Year from, Happy 2023 from the Philippines. Yes, excellent. So glad you could join again. Um, yeah, and Happy New Year. You get to have it first. Okay. So, you've been in the 2023 yeah. longer than we have. Uh, we've experienced. <laughs> so, let me know what happens. Maybe next slide's <laughs> auto numbers or something. Um, so, you, you sent three poems, but we only have time for one, I think. Yeah, I'll just choose uh, Elephantine. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I didn't actually write a prompt, but the prompt did remind me of just how wonderful it is uh, poetry in the sense of uh, using metaphor, using poetry to express what you really feel like. 
uh, when the circumstances are such that it's probably not appropriate that you're very vocal. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so the context is uh, in the Philippines, obviously my husband and I, he's Dutch, I'm English, we're foreigners here. There's a lot going on politically that is sometimes quite outrageous. And uh, the worst thing that's been gone, going on the last seven years is the so-called war on drugs, uh, which the previous administration was carrying out, basically giving uh, policemen, corrupt policemen, the green light to kill mm -hmm. if there was even a suspicion of drug use. And uh, it just thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people have died. Wow. Uh, and not the middle class, not the upper class, but the poor, because mm. they have no voice. Yeah. So it, it just, you know, wanting to pull my hair out, wanting to scream, wanting to cry. And poetry has been my outlet of mm. protest. Yeah, great, great use for so it. So that's the background. So this is Elephantine. For those being killed in the Philippines' ongoing war on drugs. Let's call it out that fluorescently scarlet elephant in the room. Murder, the elected tool of preference. Sweep away those we don't understand, don't want to deal with. Obscene reversal, not caring for the poor, we cull them. Burst that elephantine balloon, blood stains across our faces, our hands, lament and come to our senses. Yeah, excellent poem. And yeah, like a great use of poetry, like I said, elephantine. Thanks so much for sharing that, Anne. <clears throat> Thank you. Yep. Have a good rest of your afternoon, I suppose. Thank you. You too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take care. Yeah, that was Anne uh, Van Widgerton with um, elephantine. So uh, thanks for sharing that. Next, we will go to um, Bishwajit Mishra. Hi, Tim. Hey, how good you morning. doing today? Hey, good. <laughs> Sorry. Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year to everybody. Yeah, yeah, same to you. <laughs> I lost sense of time. Thought I was in Philippines or something. <laughs> okay, so I have a prompt poem, mm -hmm. and I'll be quick because, there, as you say, there are quite a few number mm -hmm. of people. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's called Camouflage Might Have Given It Away. Uh, a long wait and a couple of shimmering yarns twined as a glutinous noise met with gulping cadence encased in cacophony, melodious confetti floated, fringed by hallway chatter and depressed the exchange to whispering decibels when a genteel guest saw a yarn's other end standing under a pair of trees shielded under an umbrella, a bottled in, left by a roving tree from a familiar forest. Tipsy hand shaking, more from the load of the greased commitment that fogged out the neighbors. As the summer was winding down, his neck felt warm. He wondered if he could see the leaves and the glimpses of the sky through a knowing smile too, perhaps. Oh, excellent. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that. Uh, camouflage might have given it away. Uh, thanks so much, Bishwit. Thank you, Tim. Yep, take care. Okay, bye-bye. Yeah, that was uh, Bishwit Mishra with uh, Camouflage might have taken it away. Next, we will go to uh, Mike Bales. I'll say Happy New Year, too. Yeah, Happy New Year, Mike. I was having a good time last year, but the last month is getting kind of old. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> Time um, for a new one, I'd say. 
I don't know if they're true secrets. They're things I tell a lot of people and things I don't tell many people. This is something I didn't tell many people and cloaked it in metaphor. Mm -hmm. So now I'm sort of telling everyone here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, here we go. Let's Um, (laughs) It's Room of Mirrors. Just down a dim hallway, I opened the door, entering a room of mirrors. And every time I moved left or right, 1,000 reflections shifted every possible way. With every move, my form changed so much, I had to wonder if it's still me. I looked around when I heard the sound of someone crying and saw a woman. I asked myself, was it her or me or someone else who cried in this wonderland? In this wonderland, a heartfelt desire was found to look beyond glass walls and see a meadow of green. Oh, very interesting poem. We'll have to piece that together and figure what that's about. Thanks so much for sharing that, Mike. Okay. I won't piece it together, <laughs> but thanks. <laughs> Excellent. Room of Mirrors by Mike Bales. Thanks, Mike. Always a pleasure. Um, and next, uh, Brian O'Sullivan. Hi. Hey, Brian. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, thanks. Fun podcast. Yeah, definitely. It's been a good show. So I have a prompt poem. Uh-huh. It's called uh, Shards of the Dark Knight, which is way too dramatic sounding. <laughs> um, and like Sharon, I thought it was just fun to have an excuse to be obscure. Interesting. Yeah, it is um, fun to be obscure. I, yeah. I'd say so. Yeah. <laughs> so Shards of the Dark Knight. Okay. Um, one. Tempest in massage foothills. Paths clotted with roots. Tickets cluttering unseen van. Two. Greyhound rumbling, tumble reeds rolling, window rivulets collide. Three, silver light, fleeing, flowing Neptune, bus to Culvert City. Four, crumbling hotel plaster, here's the cut. Nighttime ride, blurring lights. Five, hear the wail for 500 miles, home lights below. Excellent. I love that, here's the cut. <laughs> That's a really good one. Uh, Shards of the Dark Night by uh, Brian O'Sullivan. Thanks, Brian. Always a pleasure, too. Yep, take care. Um, yeah, yeah, here's the cut. I've never seen a haiku <laughs> announce the cut in that way. Um, Jennifer Elise Wang is up next. Hey, hey, Tim. Hey, Jennifer. How are you doing tonight? Um, I'm good. I really liked last week's uh, prompt. I, I've been taking classes uh-huh. around this time, so I missed out, but I'm <clears throat> definitely going to try to <laughs> write one of my own because... It's kind of what I did as a teenager, uh-huh. like yeah. things that, you know, I didn't really want to express. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a that's a main draw at the early, you know, at that age. Yeah. Um, so what do you yeah, got for I've, us tonight? Uh, I've got a Poets Respond mm-hmm. poem. Um, it's uh, in response to the death of Vivian Westwood. Ah, and uh, I've been a huge fan of her fashion uh, since uh, getting, it was actually through uh, manga that uh, a character wore Vivian Westwood and was a punk rocker that I learned about her and just kind of, she's kind of been everywhere. So I kind of wrote about that and how like, um, yeah, she's a punk icon, but also mainstream. And so, yeah, this is mm-hmm. my tribute. Yeah. Very cool. Go ahead. Uh, punk is dead. Long live punk for Vivian Westwood. The queen is dead. No, not that queen, but the queen of punk fashion. If punk supported a monarchy instead of anarchy, You did give old Liz a piercing on that t-shirt worn by rocker boys who were too fast to live, too young to die. And girls on the 430 Kings Road who never bothered with bras. 
Eventually, the sex and rock and roll gave way to romanticism and paganism, but your devil-may-care spirit lived through the pirate hats and mini crinnies. Then the movie stars and Carrie Bradshaws and even a princess of England started wearing your clothes, and I wondered how punk is a 10,000 yen plaid scarf at a second-hand shop in Japan. I still contemplated buying it. I've learned, however, that punk isn't what you wear or who wears what you make or how much money you make because fabric will fall apart as the human body decomposes. But the memory of your attitude, your words of revolution is punk and forever. Oh, that's great. Yeah, fabric will fall apart for sure. Thanks so much for sharing that, Jen. All right, thank you. Yep, take care. Is that Jennifer Lee Swang with uh, Punk is Dead, Long Live Punk for Vivian Westwood. Um, and that is going to be it for the Zoom, so I'm shutting that down. And uh, then, oops, i got to not mess it up, though. Okay. <clears throat> now we are going to do, uh, let's see, we have, I'll do a few of the people who emailed poems in as well. Um, what do we have here? So this is um, Andrea Dobrika. Um, she says, um, here's my profits for the secret using metaphors um, and hoping to still keep it a secret. That's 5 a.m. in Romania, so I'll not catch it live, but I will enjoy this uh, Rattlecast session with my morning coffee for sure. So here is um, Andrea Dobrika's uh, secret poem, The House Was Once an Orphanage. So here we go. The house was once an orphanage. He offered his reason for the worn-out outside staircase running up to the per peculiar door just under the eaves. The white owls nest here sometimes. I was eleven, and his secret guest was once removed. Feigning interest was the polite way to be, ignorant of the history lesson on homes and stairways, winding both on the outside and within their creaks at odd hours, and how they lead to entries left ajar. I did not care to ask how owl wings dampen sound, why old houses imbue hallways with shadows and glows around breakfast nooks, or to whom orphans turn looking for solace. Very cool. See, I actually, I really like this prompt with the extended metaphor, um, you know, hiding the details, but the emotions still come through. And that was a good example of it. This house was once an orphanage. Thanks so much for sharing that, Andrea Dobrika. Next go, um, next we have, um, let's still see if I can download Ted Guevara's poem. I have to actually download one. Hold on one second. We'll do this really quickly. Um, and while it's downloading, I'll read another poem. That's what we'll do. Um, oops, it's downloaded already. Okay, we'll do it already then. Here is uh, Ted Guevara. I'm going to have to set this up a little bit and remember how I do it too. Okay, this is Ted Guevara with uh, his prompt, his poem. Um, he had... Um, there's a video of three haikus. Please show and tell. So here you go. This is Vibrant Haikus by Ted Bernal Guevara. And let me do the, this one. Yeah, that works. Okay. Okay, so here's Ted going with Vibrant Haikus. Good evening. Ted Guevara reciting Vibrant Haikus. Her days, she's counting. How she wishes rebellion is a number. Pray for your egg white thought. I must sleep awake in the perfect yoke. 
Cerulean Philbright is not a good name for a new or a newborn. Uh, that is nice. great. Yeah, thanks so much, Ted. That was Ted Bernal Guevara with um with three haiku. That was excellent. Especially I love that her days she's counting how she wishes for a million as a number. That was great. Thanks so much for sharing that, Ted. Um Ted's got another poem. I'll share this if it's um short. Let's see. Yeah, this is pretty short too. We'll do automation. This is uh Ted's what did Ted say? Um Okay. I'm still on the list prompt, he says. Automation here suggests our manual jobs have been disappearing long before machines. And as always, he concludes a photograph to go with the uh, poem. And it's right here. Let me um, go like this and like this. Okay, so here is uh, Ted's other poem, Automation. All are shepherds here, says the bristly welcome mat. Odd, but shepherds are the only ones who stop to read. Knocker, uppers, town criers, deer callers, phrenologists, toshers, all made their beds but forgot to read the bristly mat. Ice cutters knew of the heat. Cigarette girls didn't go into hospital lobbies. They kept their chins up, could not see the bristly mat. The bemicists are all about steps and distances. How cruel they don't see themselves shepherded to the often stepped bristly mat. And the world turns and turns, flinging obsolete mud and humans off the bristly mat. Very cool. Automation. The bristly mat. I've never heard that before. Um, and that's a really cool refrain. Thanks for sharing that. That was, again, Ted Bernal Guevara um, for the list prompt from a couple weeks ago. Um, let's do... We have two more. and We have time. to I'll do two more people really quick. Well, the show will go a little long. Well, who cares? I don't have anywhere to rush off to. Um, here is Katie Dozier's secret poem. This is, um, let's see, what did she say about it? She said, thanks, Tim. So this is a Keychain by Katie Dozier, a short poem in two parts. Here we go. Um, part one, this is Keychain. Part one, at times the secret was everywhere, spiraled inside the helix of wall screws, in the mortar trapping bricks, wedged inside the trunk drawer between loose batteries and bits of yarn, paper clips, of course it grew like anything well-fed. It threw entire kitchen cabinets into Tupperware, ate the refrigerator. Even that old grainy mustard, how that hunger snaked up the white walls until it became the walls themselves of an abandoned house. 2. The staircase was composed of sloping stones, molded by your footsteps, curved like the shoulder of a harp. Your ascent took two seconds, or was it that you were climbing to this door all along? Or a verse through winter's white to land on autumn's fall? Acorns scattered on the roof like little thoughts. A call. Very interesting. That was a keychain. And again, the prompt, a secret. Um, poems about a secret. Thanks so much for sharing that, Katie. Um, and then we have one more for tonight. This is um, Barbara Ford's secret poem. So I'll read this, then we'll play... So it's going to go a little long, because I keep forgetting that we also have the whole Chalupa, um, which is like a five-minute poem or so. Um, so we'll play that, and then we'll do the Saiku. But let's do this really quick. This is the uh, Barbara Ford's poem for the prompt this week that she emailed in. Um, here we go. Put this up. Okay. And this is A Hump or Two by Barbara Ford. A hump or two, 
To put trust in others is often a gamble. Most people gossip. Most people tell rarely, will I volunteer? I have a camel. We stick to the back roads to go for a ramble. Even if, I, if lost, we won't ring a doorbell. To put trust in others is truly a gamble. Since camel hair's soft, they'd want a feel, a free sample, I'll not advertise. I won't be comp compelled to let it be known that I have a camel. Some fear being spat on or else being trampled. A few of ten reasons to conceal my bombshell. To put trust in others is clearly a gamble. Spilling someone's news is a prime example of possessing tidbits too tempting to quell. Why not let it slip that I have a camel? Personal facts are best kept confidential, especially when harboring a quite large animal. To put trust in others is always a gamble. I choose not to disclose I have a camel. <laughs> that is great. Um, yeah, a hump or two. So that's, of course, what the uh, uh, what the, the camel refers to, the title refers to. And um, yeah, really cool use of that. Again, I have no idea what the camel is, but uh, but she chooses not to disclose. Very cool. Uh, very cool villanelle there. Thanks for sharing that, Barbara. Okay, now we're going to do, because I promised, we're going to do the whole chalupa. And this is just great. I wonder if, hmm... Well, you know what? It's okay. I, I might get a, a copyright thing because if because um, if it is on a CD, sometimes they pick that up. But uh, eh, I'll just do it anyway. This is the whole Chalupa by Jack McCarthy. So let's hear this, and uh, he'll play us out a little bit, and then we'll do the Saiku and uh, next week's guest. So here we go: the whole Chalupa by Jack McCarthy. Let me open this up so everyone can see. Okay, here we go: the whole Chalupa. I know a lot of you from, from out of state, you may not be aware that there's a big controversy raging in Massachusetts about, about something called the MCAS tests, which are a series of tests that students have to take and, and they have to pass them before they can graduate from high school. That has nothing to do with this poem. I, I just wanted to you know, introduce a note of controversy here. They don't test for poetry. <laughs> This is, this is called The Whole Chalupa. <laughs> so I'm on my way to work, jumping around the AM dial, looking for last night's sock score from the coast, and I hear these two guys talking about the Drop the Chalupa commercial. And I stop and listen, because I think it's one of the funniest commercials I've ever seen. But that's not what these hockey pucks are saying. No, they're complaining about that commercial because they don't get it. <laughs> And even before I can hit the scan button again, Beavis and Butthead are on to capital punishment. And why am I not surprised that they're in favor of it? But I am surprised they're talking about it at all, that they have the cojones to voice an opinion on one of the most complex questions before our society today, right after they've just admitted they don't get dropped the chalupa. <laughs> But isn't this characteristic of us? We live in the golden age of the opinion. No knowledge, no education, no qualification. Just give us your opinion, like, like a judge in a poetry slam. <laughs> and, and even though... And even though I like the Drop the Chalupa commercial, don't get the idea that I'm defending advertising. The other day I was waiting for the subway and there's this kid next to me in a Gap sweatshirt and I said, how much do they pay you to wear that? And he said, what? And I said, I'm not proud. Money's a little tight right now, paying off all those college loans. I wouldn't mind a few extra bucks. 
So how much do you charge the gap for wearing their advertising like that? And he moved away from me down the platform. And I yelled, I got just one word for you, kid. MCAS! And he broke into a run, and all the kids on the platform started to run away from me as I stood there yelling, MCAS! MCAS! Which set me thinking that if I had stayed with the Drop the Chalupa guys five more minutes, they probably would have gotten onto the MCAS, raving about the schools and the teachers and why can't kids pass the MCAS? Maybe they can't, you twin peaks of nincompoop, but I guarantee you, they get dropped the chalupa. So why can't they pass the MCAS? Because they don't do any homework. Why don't they do any homework? Because they're all out working at Taco Bell. Why are they working at Taco Bell? Because they've become the hottest market for all the advertisers. Because they have to shell out $48 for a Gap sweatshirt, 15 bucks for the new Britney Spears CD. I bought Don't Be Cruel for 89 cents. <laughs> Hallelujah, I love her so. 89 cents. Trouble in mind, Joe Turner. I laid a crumpled dollar down. They gave me back a penny and a dime, and they didn't need a calculator to do it. <laughs> These kids have to buy the whole CD, and they have to work five hours for that. Studying isn't their job anymore. They're consumers now. That's their role in society. They know it. We just haven't gotten around to admitting it. Now, you're going to tell me that they don't have to listen to commercials, and you're right, except advertising works. The advertisers know us better than we know ourselves. Once in a while, the stakes get high enough to force us to acknowledge that it works. We took liquor commercials off TV and cigarettes. We forced them to put in disclaimers, please chug a leg responsibly. <laughs> may cause drowsiness, incontinence, and agonizing death. <laughs> what we really need is a disclaimer that says, I got paid big bucks to tell you that about Doritos. If you believe one word you heard, you'd be safer going to Hannibal Lecter's for an intimate dinner than you are watching television because the advertisers will eat you alive. Now that's the disclaimer I want required by law at the end of every commercial. Without that, it's not a level playing field. Even that might not be enough. Maybe it's already too late. We've made TV the babysitter for two generations of our kids. Now we find out that was like putting W in charge of the evidence in a cocaine bust. <laughs> and nobody, nobody understands the power of advertising better than the politicians who gave away the airwaves in the first place. Now it's poetic justice that every few years they have to sell their souls to raise money to buy their office back. Campaign finance reform? Why don't we just say political ads are free? Why can't we do that? Don't the airwaves belong to the people? I'll have to call the Drop the Chalupa guys, see if they have an opinion about that. Of course they'll have an opinion about it. As soon as they hear it, they'll have an opinion. Because you see this bone here? Note how it goes directly from the ear to the jaw. This is the opinion bone. An idea enters at the ear, and this bone carries it directly to the mouth, where it exits matched with one of three opinions. It's cool, it sucks, or it doesn't suck. The brain is never engaged. In the wrong hands, this bone is still the most powerful weapon in the world. 
the jawbone of an ass. And the Philistines have turned it against us. Of course, that's only my opinion. So that was uh, Jack McCarthy with a whole chalupa from Rattle uh, number 27. If you order Rattle number 27, actually, there's a CD in there. Do people still have CD players in your car, maybe? I don't even know. But uh, if you buy uh, Rattle 27, there's a whole, like, you know, 90 minutes of uh, slam poetry there, and that's one of them. Jack McCarthy's The Whole Chalupa, which uh, Emily was talking about at the beginning of the show. And that's going to be the uh, show for today. Let's go uh, do the Saiku really quickly, because we are past the uh, two-and-a-half-hour mark. Now, here is this, the uh, science news that inspired my poem. This is from um, the American Museum of Natural History. It's an article from, though, Science, and um, <clears throat> kind of interesting. Um, glass frogs hide red blood cells in liver to disappear. And so these are glass frogs. It's a whole, you know, I think there's 140 species of glass frog in the world. And... Um, and so they looked at, actually, without doing anything invasive, they looked at how the frogs become um, become clear like this. And what it turns out is they suck up all their red blood cells and pull them into their liver, which has this kind of reflective material around it. And uh, that blocks out everything, and uh, they kind of, like, hold their breath and rest there on a leaf so they don't get eaten and camouflage during the day. And that's what glass frogs do. Um, so pretty interesting um, article there. I never knew glass frogs exist, existed, let alone um, how how that worked. Um, here's another picture. This is how they look when they're actually hiding. That's another. That's better. But this is glass frogs hiding in the leaves above a lit of pond. That's what they do. Look at out. You couldn't eat that frog if you wanted to. So um, yeah, very good camouflage from that glass frog. And then here's my haiku for this. We get the two line haiku, which. Um, Exist. You can do whatever you want with a haiku. One line are very popular. Three lines are, of course, the most popular. There aren't a whole lot of two-line haiku, but sometimes you just want two lines. So this is your haiku for this week. Stillness of the pond teeming with tadpoles. Stillness of the pond teeming with tadpoles. That is your haiku for this week, and that is the show for this week. We already shared the prompt uh, for next week, and it's provided by... Emily, uh, Ruth Hazel, of course. And the prompt is this embodied scavenger hunt experiment with a cross-pollination incorporating movement and body awareness. To begin your scavenger hunt, head to wildhoneywords.com slash create for details. Um, so you do this little scavenger hunt, of course. We, you know, Emily explained it. Um, and then you do a little dance for each word that you find um, to get you in a different kind of mood, which I think is fascinating. So I'm going to try it out, even though in the comfort of the, uh, the office right here, uh, with nobody, with no camera on, I will try that out and then do my scavenger hunt poem next week. I might do another secrets poem next week too, because I have a, there's something I was thinking about the last minute. But that is your your uh, your prompt for this week. Next week's guest in the Rattlecast is going to be Angela Voris Hills. Angela was in issue number uh, 62 of Rattle, and her new book, The Louder Birds, is out not too long ago, and uh, it's a beautiful cover. I've been staring at that, wanting her on the show. Uh, for a while because I just I'm very curious about this book um, Angela Voris Hills Rattlecast number 176 and the wildhoneywords.com scavenger hunt that'll be next week's episode hope you have a great week in the meantime we'll do critique of the week and everything like that too and I will talk to you later good night <laughs>